If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. If you found your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing, Salah? But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Salah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give me the strength to preach your word this morning. And God, give your people ears to hear it. Lives to live for you. Help them, Lord, to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything. To follow hard after you and do your will for their lives. To listen to you and obey you. To follow your commandments. Lord, I pray that they would put away lying. Help us, Lord, to offer the sacrifice of obedience. Walk with us through this passage of Scripture today. With your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach our hearts and our minds and our hands what to do. God, if there's somebody here that is lost and on their way to hell, I pray that your word would draw them to Jesus so that they may be born again and live for all of eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm chapter 4. We're not sure when David wrote this. It's speculated that it could be at the same time that he was running from Absalom, his son. But this is written for the congregation of worship. Um, the worship leader, if you'll read the top there above the hymn, it says, to the chief musician. And um, so that's kind of telling you that it's going to be sung in the assembly. Verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. You ever been in a tight spot? I mean, where, where you couldn't get out of something? There was a lady that parked in a parking space, and she barely edged her way in there, and her back tire went over a curb to get in there. I read it in the devotion Jeremy gave me this morning. And she was trying to get out of there, and her tires began to squeal and burn and peel out. And she was in a mall parking lot, and she said, people were on the sidewalk just standing there watching me. And finally, I got so frustrated, she said, that she started praying, God, help me get out of this mess. And she put it back in drive, and she got a little bit of room, and eventually she got out of there. Sometimes you find yourself in a hard place where there's not much room for you, and you can't get out. 
Kind of like the time my sister and my brother and I, we flew out to Los Angeles to watch him be on Jeopardy. And they put us on the back row of the plane, and there were just three seats. And I'm the runt of the litter, and that was rough. Eventually, they said, here's a seat up here if y'all want to move. Apparently, the stewardess thought that we were sardines in a can. And they made some room for us. But for David, it was much more serious. In his life, he was in danger. There wasn't room for him to live or breathe. breathe and um, King Saul was always after him. Or his son was against him. And he really depended upon the Lord to make room for him. To enlarge him when he was in distress. The verse of scripture I want to look at is Isaiah 54, verse 13 through 17. Isaiah 54, beginning verse 13. It says, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, but thou shalt not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. When you are a servant of the Lord, you get this as your inheritance. When you live a righteous and godly life, God looks out for you. You don't have to worry about your enemies. Yeah, they're going to gather together. They're going to, they're going to pile up against you. It's going to happen that people will say all kinds of stuff against you, but the Lord will deliver you, and all of their weapons that they form to harm you will not prosper. And for David, he had lots of people that tried to kill him, but none of those things worked out. Verse 2. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing, Salam? We may not be familiar with what leasing means. It means lying or deception. A lot of people decide to live their lives in this world by lying to others. They go out and they put on a false front and they act like they're somebody or something that they're not. Have you ever heard of a Ponzi scheme? I mean, they go and convince all these people to give their money to them and then they leave and take all the money with them. There's lots of people like that that deceive others in the world. And if you're going to be righteous and follow after God, you've got to leave leasing behind. You can't do that, whether it's in the public sphere or in the church. I'll give you an example of that in John chapter 8, verse 42. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus was ministering among people, and he would go to publicans, he would go to sinners, he would go to prostitutes, he would go to tax collectors, people that everybody else hated. But the people that Jesus spoke out against were the religious people. And many times it was because those religious people were religious in vain. They were using religion for their own gain. It wasn't to be a servant of God or to be a righteous person. And uh, lots of people will fill churches these days for the very same reasons. And so Jesus had a confrontation with some of those uh, people. And in John chapter 8, verse 42, it says, Jesus said unto them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you commenceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So these religious people that sought after lies were following the devil instead. And they were in the synagogue every Sabbath. These are the holiest of the holy people of their day, and they were making the laws and rules for all the other religious people to follow. And yet Jesus confronted them because he knew the nature of their hearts. If they were whitewashed tombs, they looked really good on the outside, as if you had painted white stuff all over the outside of a grave. But on the inside, they were just dead men's bones. There was no power and no life in what they were doing. For this church, I want it to be full of power and life. I want God to awaken the dead. As we read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. There are churches that are sometimes not finished with the work that God has for them. You have to wake up and go to it. And you can't do it through deception and you can't do it through lies. Verse 3. It says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Uh, we read the story this morning to the children about David and how he called out to the Lord, and the Lord gave him an answer. And I was talking to one of my patients this week, and I was talking about interacting with the Spirit of God and, and having conversations with God and praying to God. And a lot of people will mock you for that. They, they say, Well, God doesn't speak to people these days. Why in the world did he send his Holy Spirit but to speak to the inner parts of your life? And you have to learn to listen. How many times have you been in a room and somebody called your name and you didn't hear it? How about this one? Mama, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. Even a parent calling to their child. My wife says, why do I have to yell to get them to listen to me? We're all that way sometimes where we get focused on something else and we can't hear anything because our focus is drawn away. Here in a, a, a little while, right before lunchtime, everybody's focus is going to be on the buffet or what they're going to have after church. And you're probably not going to hear a word I have to say. Oops, I started early today. You're already thinking, mm, what's going to be <coughs> Focus and attention is important for a child of God. You've got to be in tune to Him. You've got to draw close to Him. Because when you draw close to Him, He'll draw close to you. You have to seek Him out to find Him. It's not just going to happen. You're not just going to stumble across Him. The Bible says you have to seek Him with your whole heart. So listening to Him is a choice. It says, But know that the Lord has set apart Him that is godly for Himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto Him. He knows that God will hear you because He is holy. 
And being holy just means set apart. It means being different. It means uh, picked out by God. For this, I'm going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. That's a good thing to preach on a Sunday morning. I remember as a teenager, I sat in uh, church with a bunch of folks that I knew that had trouble with that. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Most people are trying to fit in with the world. They want the world to accept them. They want the world to love them. And it's a dangerous game that you're playing. Instead of seeking what the world wants you to do, why don't you find out what your Father wants you to do and live that way? See what difference it makes, not only in your life, but in the lives of others around you. Know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. If you want God to hear you, you need to be holy. Verse 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Salah. Does anybody have that verse in a different translation? Go ahead, man. Four. Four. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. All right. Anybody else have a different one? Anybody else got the same one? The Hallman Christian Standard Bible, or as Chris calls it, the Hardcore Christian Bible. A hardcore Baptist Bible. Let me look that up. Chris has it. Chris, you got it right there? Standing on it's in the oh, there. You gonna pull it up for us? Give me a couple of seconds and you'll have it on there. Never mind, he said. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you're on your bed and be silent. So long. The reason I wanted to look that up in a different translation is because here uh, it might not translate well to you when we go to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. So it says um, in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you're on your bed and be silent. So long. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, this is a verse you need to memorize because in our day and age, there's lots of corrupt speech going around. And whether it's coming out of your mouth or you're typing it with your fingers, you need to stop speaking corruptly. It's very hard for sweet water and bitter water to come out of the same well. And if you're going to be a testimony for Jesus Christ, 
You've got to put away bitterness. Got to. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So, you know, being angry and not sinning is a hard practice. You're probably not going to be able to do that without the Holy Spirit's help. Um, many of us have a short fuse, uh, a quick temper. And it's really hard for us to keep that at bay because we don't really know how. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God has to intervene in our lives to stop us from going to jail. And uh, it's by the grace of God that I'm not there. So, you know, that's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And you have to learn to stand in awe and sin not, as verse 4 says. Uh, sometimes things will just strike you. They take you aback. And before you know it, you've done something you wish you wouldn't have done. So you have to catch yourself when something like that happens, and you have to not sin when it happens. Does anybody have a hammer? I'm going to bring all of your hands up here and hit you on the thumb, and we're going to practice this. And <laughs> whoo! You ever hit your thumb and say something you shouldn't have? Mmm. I've heard this expression a lot. That's enough to make a preacher cuss. You have to be careful. So David says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Sometimes you lay awake at night thinking of what you could do to get back to somebody. Thinking of some vengeance that you could take. But I read it this morning. Somebody said that Justice will be served in one of two ways. When there's an injustice, either somebody will take vengeance or they'll forgive. And that forgiveness hurts. Preacher, you don't know what they did to me. You know what you did to Jesus? You've got to be willing to forgive instead of take vengeance. It's important. When you're laying awake at night thinking of how you can get back at somebody, I want you to transform the way that you're thinking and be still and let the Lord have it. He says vengeance belongs to Him. He'll repay. And whether He decides to repay it upon the person that is your enemy or repay it upon His Son, Jesus Christ, so that your enemy can be redeemed, you leave that up to Him. And you forgive. But it's not within me to forgive. Well, that's what we're here to learn. As a Christian, things will be impossible for you. Jesus came. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven after walking around the earth. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will commune with you on your bed and teach you how to forgive. It's not going to come naturally to you. 
Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Salah. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There's lots of things that you willingly sacrifice. Uh, an annoying co-worker. Uh, there's things that you, you get rid of in a heartbeat. You need to learn what kind of sacrifices God requires of you. They thought that by killing a lot of animals and shedding a lot of blood that they could appease the Lord. And it became a frustration in the Old Testament because God said, you're doing all this stuff, but you don't really mean it. Even to the point of a man being circumcised, he said, you need to be circumcised in your heart. It's not helping to mutilate your flesh if your heart is far from you. What kind of sacrifice does God require? Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. For this, I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. The sacrifice that God requires of you is to do his will. His will for Jesus was to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, was his prayer. His will was for Jesus to shed his blood on Calvary's tree. So Jesus went to the cross. His will was to put Abraham to the test by having him take his son Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him, and God stopped that sacrifice. Abraham followed the will of God no matter what it cost. And you need to learn to listen to what God's will is. Because if you can't hear the Holy Spirit and you can't listen to Him, then how are you going to be a disciple? Because going to church one, time, one, two, or three times a week and opening your Bible every morning and reading a verse of Scripture, I'm sorry, but there's lots of atheists and lots of ungodly people that know Scripture. You need the Spirit of God to seal you into the day of redemption. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God in your life, you're lost and undone. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. They're worthless without the Spirit of God in your life. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
I've been justified by the blood of Jesus. That means it's just as if I'd never sinned. But the process of sanctification is different. You know, I, I attribute it to, to this. I got married almost 19 years ago. I stood in an altar and I made vows to my wife to do all these things. The sanctification process is like what would happen after I got born again. So if the vows are the justification, the sanctification is carrying out that marriage in faithfulness. And what you do as a Christian is God will sanctify you through the process of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I am a different man today than the day that I took those vows. And many of those things are different about me because I have a loving wife who is gently, sometimes, corrected my way. She has spoken truth into my life. She has taught me to be a better parent, a better man, a better husband, a better pastor. She has helped me in so many ways. The process of sanctification is the same for a born-again believer. You go in relationship with God and you learn what His will is and you learn to do it every day. You show up every day. You don't forsake your God. You are in a relationship. And it changes you, and it transforms you, and it matures you. It makes you better. And I'm afraid there's some people who are in here who have been a Christian for a really, really, really long time, and you've never allowed the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. I could have been stubborn and pig-headed about a lot of stuff and not listen to my wife in many ways, and I'm sure she could tell you some instances where I'm still that way. She's still working on me. She said she'll never have another one. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But understand this. If you're not teachable, you're not a disciple. Because a disciple is a learner. And if you're not learning anything, you're dying. A born-again believer is a living, everlasting life person. And if you're planning to live for all of eternity, you need to be a learner and grow and change and develop according to God's will for your life, whatever it may be. All right, so offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. That sacrifice of righteousness is to obey God's will, not to make blood sacrifices. Verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. I go out all the time, I talk to people and say, Oh, this world is terrible, it's so dark, it's so evil, it's so wicked, there's nothing good anywhere whatsoever. There are still Christians here. When Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans, I said, Oh, that's a wicked, despicable place, there's no good anywhere. But I attended the Southern Baptist Seminary in that city one year later, and it looked like a brand new campus. Because people had flooded down there to reestablish God's presence in that city. And lots of churches down there that are leading people to Christ and discipling people and ministering and witnessing. I'm telling you that as long as Christians are on this planet, there's light. 
And you can decide whether you're going to let your light shine before all men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Or you can say, yep, it's just dark. There's nothing anywhere. You steer the conversation. And when you steer towards Jesus, it opens people's eyes. There'll be many that say, who will show us any good? The fields are wide unto harvest. There's lots of people that need to see the goodness of the Lord. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning verse 3. Second Corinthians 4, 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So you're going out there and trying to make blind people see. No wonder the Bible says that you have to be wise to win souls. It's not just going to happen. Friend of mine's kid, they want to get a tattoo, and they said, Well, I would use this tattoo to, to witness to people. So that parent said, Fine, we're going to go down the street and we're going to stop at the first five houses we come to, and we're going to go and you're going to knock on that door and you're going to tell them about Jesus. Oh, Mom! They started throwing a fit about it. Because people say one thing, but they're really meaning something else. If you're not already witnessing, I don't think the tattoo. If you are, it can point some people to Jesus. We had a youth minister here that had some stuff that he would use to go and witness and minister to people. There are some people that won't talk to somebody clean shaven, clean cut, but they'll talk to you. And what you run into, a lot of people in this world are blind and they can't see. So Paul said, you know what, I'm going to use whatever means necessary. Just be sure. When you do anything by the will of the Lord, you're letting your light shine. Verse 5, it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of As a preacher, I'm a servant. As a church member, you're a servant. You have a master and Lord that is telling you what to do with your life, and that job is to go out and shine the light of Christ. As a servant. I'm not supposed to judge other servants if they're doing what God's leading them to do by the will of the Holy Spirit. How's one servant supposed to judge another? My job is to point you to the master so that you can serve him on a day-to-day -day basis. To remind you that you're either going to serve sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. There is no in-between. Either you're serving yourself and Satan or you're serving your Lord and Master, your Savior, who died for you. 
Any person that makes an idol out of their own lives will lose it. Bow down and worship at the altar of self and see you don't burn in hell. The Bible says if you will give up this life for the sake of the gospel, that you will get it back both in this life and in the life to come. My job is to waken the dead. So if you're here and you're not born again, you need to be saved. So that we can do the work that God has for us to do before Jesus comes back. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I don't know if you've been on the internet and heard that song about corn. I mean, the people are really excited about that song. It's just a blip on the radar and it'll be gone in a minute. The young people don't talk about it. Yeah. Stupid song about corn. People get really excited about the harvest time. Here we are. We're going to have a harvest festival. You know, all the churches around here, they got to call it something else instead of Halloween. It's a harvest festival. They get together and they eat and they feast and they have candy and all kinds of good stuff. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time of their corn and then their wine increased. So how in the world did David get gladness in the midst of his suffering, sorrow, trial, tribulation, being rejected, being run off as the king? How did he have joy more than a harvest time? I've got this nice little decoration in my home. And, and I read it sometimes and I laugh at the fact that they put that on a decoration. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. Well, it conveniently leaves out all the stuff before it. We'll turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Somebody that rejoices in the Lord may have to go through a few things, and David had definitely been through it. You've been through it. You've had trouble and tribulation. Luke 6, verse 20. Now, my decoration has 623. You know, it just starts right there. But here's what comes before 623. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You don't have anything? That's fine. You've got God's kingdom. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. You don't have enough food in your pantry? That's okay. One day God's going to take you to his feast. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Not in a Baptist church, sure. You've wept over a lot of stuff in your life. Some of you have even probably contemplated ending your life because of something so bad that's going on. The Word of God says, even though you weep, God will help you to laugh. Verse 22 says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. I don't feel blessed when people hate me. And when they shall separate you from their company. I don't feel blessed when people exclude me. You ever been on the outside of a clique, one of friends? They kind of look over their shoulder and laugh at you and keep on going? 
and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So you go out there and you try to serve the Lord and they tell you that you're an evil person for what you've said and what you've done. I was reading about a man that passed away this week. Uh, he was known as God's smuggler. And he was in his 90s when he died, but he had to run from the Nazis when they overtook his country. And at some point, he had to live off of eating tulips. And he got shot in the foot. And in his recovery, he began to read the Bible. And God got a hold of his life, and he just said a simple prayer and offered and dedicated his life to the Lord. After that, he began to realize that some of these Soviet countries, they couldn't get Bibles, so he had an old Volkswagen, and he'd fill it up with Bibles and smuggle them into those places. Eventually, he, he convinced a couple, a, a newlywed couple, to smuggle some Bibles for him, and he began a ministry called Open Door that began to go to Africa and Asia and all around the globe. Sharing the gospel handing out Bibles. And some people who were Christians called him evil for what he did. So that's not the way you should do that. He was simply obeying the will of the Lord. I tell you, Christian, a lot of people are going to come around to you and tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Whether it's from a pulpit or on social media or whatever. You've got one Lord. Just one. And if you will learn to hear His voice, if He's your good shepherd, then when He opens the door and sends you out, you go. And when He opens that gate and calls you back in, you come back in. Open door ministries began because a man got shot in the foot the verse of scripture that he turned to was Revelation 3 verse 20. I, I didn't put it on the screen this morning, but since I've referenced this a couple of times, I want to turn to it. Revelation chapter 3 verse 2. This is the verse that God used to turn that smuggler around. It said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect God. You're not dead yet. And if you're not dead yet, God has something He wants to do through you. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. That church was told that because there was something that God was going to do. This is in the beginning of the book of Revelation where he's writing to the seven churches and these churches are being reminded, you're not dead if Jesus hasn't come back yet. There's work to be done. And we're going to show up and we're going to work and do whatever God has for us to do. Don't retire till you die as a Christian. I've met people in the nursing home that could point people to Jesus. I've met people on their deathbed that were pointing people to Jesus. As long as you've got breath and a mind to do so, you can be a disciple who makes disciples. 
Some of my best theological conversations take place in hospice care and somebody only has days, weeks, months, or possibly a couple of years to live. Some of them are still growing in their faith. Verse 23 of Luke chapter 6. This is on my wall. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And that's where it stops. You know, those decorations, they, they admonish you to rejoice. But many of them will leave out the suffering that you go through. What happened when they were placed in prison? For bearing witness and testimony? They began to sing hymns and rejoice. What happened when Russia invaded Ukraine and they had to hide down in these bunkers? There were videos going all across the internet of people down in those caves rejoicing before the Lord when there was war and destruction going on outside. You know what peace is? Peace is when there is a raging waterfall and a branch with a little bird sitting on it. Not fluttering, not flying, not going anywhere. There could be a torrent around you. But you could be at peace. You can rejoice. The end of that verse says, For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So, you know, you're in good company if they try to defame your name for serving Jesus, if they try to call you evil for doing what your master and Lord has told you to do. They did the same thing to the prophets. Last verse, verse 8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Sometimes it's hard for you to sleep. Uh, some people get insomnia really bad. And David most certainly had times where he was on the run and, and sleep would flee from him. And so he says, I'll, I'll lay down in, in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Reminds me of Jesus sleeping in the middle of the ship when all the disciples were saying, we're going to perish. Reminds me of Jonah avoiding the others as their ship was being tossed back and forth. They said, man, why don't you pray? Why don't you do something? He said, because it's my fault. <laughs> I was supposed to be uh, going the other direction. I got on this boat to run from God. And if you'll just throw me overboard, this will all be over. Said, no, man, we're not going to do that. And they started getting rid of everything else. And finally they gave up. They said, fine, we're going to throw you out. And when Jonah hit the water, peace be still. Sometimes in your life, there's going to be some turmoil if you don't do what the Lord tells you to do. I've heard plenty of preachers that said, I fought it and I fought it and I fought it for years. Just like Jonah, I ran. But the moment of surrender is sweet. Because after you surrender to the will of the Lord for your life, it doesn't matter what goes on around you. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and we'll be finished. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through thirty, it says, "Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, 
and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Went to the doctor yesterday. Uh, my whole family's got whatever this crud is, except for one of the eight of us. And it came about, you know, what do you do? What's your profession? Where do you work? And I said, well, I work at Karen Home Hospice as a chaplain. And I work at Calvary Baptist Church as a pastor. And then I work as a foster parent. She said, and I said, I have six kids. And she said, that sounds stressful. Yeah. yeah. It does sound stressful. But you know what? When the Lord pulls the heavy weight, it's not. You show up every day, you do what he has for you to do, moment by moment. And he carries the load. And if you're overwhelmed, it's probably because the load that you're carrying is not being shared by Christ. Think about that. If it's too much, it's either because you're trying to do his part or you're not yoked to him at all. People will yoke themselves to all kinds of things. They'll, they'll go out in this world and they'll try to do anything and everything they can think of in their brain. But those who trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding, they find this peace that passes other people's understanding. Oh, I couldn't do that job. Oh, I couldn't do what you do. Neither can I. I'm a servant. <coughs> Uniquely equipped to do these things that God has for me. Just like you are his servant. Uniquely equipped to do what God has for you to do. And if you will yoke yourself together with him, you will be able to pull people into the kingdom of God. And heaven will be filled. Because let's face it, folks, the fields are white under harvest. You don't have to throw a stone very far at all to hit a lost person. But if you could put into practice what we've been over today and get rid of lying and deceit in your life and offer this real sacrifice of righteousness, which is to do the will of God for you, to let your light shine before all men, God will take you and do things through you that are not possible for you. I want you to be great. And I want the crown that you remove from your head to be massive as you cast into the feet of Jesus. And the only way that's possible by getting out of the wood, hay, and stubble of this life and getting into some of the precious jewels of redeeming lost souls through a faithful testimony and witness. Let's pray. 
Well, thank you for helping me make it through this sermon. I'm afraid there may be somebody here that's lost that, that doesn't know you. Their sin might send them to hell if they were to die. Lord, I pray that they would not be able to leave this building without getting that straight between you and them. As your Holy Spirit draws them, as we lift up the name of Jesus, I pray they would seek out eternal life through your shed blood. Lord, I pray for Calvary. Lord, that we would be full of life. <laughs> that every believer in this place would follow your Holy Spirit as an act of righteousness, as a sacrifice of their own will for yours. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for leading by example. You were baptized though you had never sinned. And you followed the Holy Spirit after that, all the way to the cross. Help us, Lord, to take that example. To get rid of the old person. To walk in the newness of life. To live by the Holy Spirit until the day that we die. And to trust that after that, our Redeemer who lives, at the latter day will stand upon the earth. Will be the firstborn among all creation that everyone who is in Christ Jesus will live again. In Jesus' name I pray.